be talking a little more about honor and shame. Uh, if you've been here, well, if you were here two weeks ago, we started talking about honor and shame, uh, kind of what that meant. It's a different culture than the culture that we live in. We live in a guilt-based culture, uh, but the, some of the cultures in the Bible are honor and shame-based cultures. They behave differently than we do. Uh, out of guilt, I may or may not do something, um, but... In an honor and shame culture, they would say, you know what, I'm going to not just think about how I feel after I do something, I'm going to think about how what I do will affect everyone, how it would bring shame upon me or my family, and I will or won't do this thing because of the honor or shame that it will bring me or my family. I was looking for a good uh, video to show you this, and I was just kind of thinking, I was like, The movie Mulan is probably all about honor and shame. So uh, (coughs) go ahead and look at at this clip from Mulan and just listen to this theme of honor and shame. And I got the uh, words there for you as well. It would have been warm if you were here on time. We'll have you washed and dried, trimmed and polished till you glow with pride. Trust my recipe for instant bride. You'll bring honor to us all. Mulan, what's this? Uh, notes? In case I forget something? Hold this. We'll need more luck than I thought. Wait and see when we're through. Boys will gladly go to war for you. And a great hairdo. You'll bring honor to us all. Our girl can bring her family great honor in one way. By striking a good match, as this could be the day. Men want girls with good taste. Oh. Obedient. Who work fast-paced with good breeding and a tiny weight. You'll bring honor to us all. That's a good movie, isn't it? Uh, I don't know if you've seen that whole thing. If you haven't, you need to go uh, get that. I guess you don't have a video store to do that on anymore. You've got to get Disney+. Plus. You could probably see it on there. Uh, they didn't pay me too much f- to mention Disney+, Plus, um, <laughs> but I just thought I'd throw that in there. My kids are obsessed with everything on Disney+. Plus. Uh, what you see in this clip is everyone in the community that's trying to help her get ready to be a bride. And this is the way that she will, what? Bring honor, not just to herself. This is the way that she's going to bring honor to them all. There's this idea of a group mentality in honor and shame cultures. It's not so individualistic like our, our community is, okay? Uh, our society says the individual is the most important. That's why we go off to college. That's why we make our own decisions. Sometimes if our parents say, no, we don't want you to marry this person, we say, I don't care what you say, I'm going to do it anyway, right? Right? 
In an honor and shame culture, that's not a thing. They don't do that because of the way that it will affect the entire group. And so really what I'm really trying to help all of us see is that the biblical culture is just so much different from our 21st century American culture. Uh, Our culture is vastly different. I mean, we're separated about 1,900 years from anything that we read in the New Testament. Now, that's just time. We're not even talking about language and then culture and everything else that's gone into our minds to make us who we are that is so very different from the pages of the Bible. So when you come to the Bible, you want to be someone who reads the Bible for all that it's worth. You want to be someone who can be able to, at least a little, consider the culture that you're reading about, if that makes sense. And if you're reading in the Old Testament, I mean, depending on, on how far you go back, I mean, 3,500 years ago uh, is some of the authors in the Old Testament were writing. And so, I mean, there's a vast difference between our cultures. And so we've talked a little about how uh, these cultures that we live in are kind of like lenses. Uh, right now, I cannot really make any of you out right now. I'm really happy for these lenses. When I put these lenses on, I can see everything really clearly. And I know that we as Americans, we just have these American lenses that we always have on. We don't think about it. It's just who we are. We've just grown up as Americans in uh, the 21st century and some in the 20th century. And All of these things have gone into making us who we are. And so when we come to texts in the Bible and anywhere else that we go, everything's just kind of shaded with who we are and how we've become who we are. Uh, So part of reading the Bible, for all that it's worth, is kind of removing these lenses and trying to pick up some lenses that maybe reflect the culture of the Bible or the culture of the New Testament or whatever we're reading a little bit more. So we kind of try and, as much as we can, set our American lenses aside and put on these different lenses and try to see things in a little different way. Honor and shame. If you can imagine being part of a culture where every single thing that you do has value, attached to it. If you can imagine being a person in another culture where everything that you think about yourself has value, you can think about some of the things you've done or some of the things that you're thinking to do, but every little thing has some kind of a value attached to it, and it's either honorable or it's shameful. And uh, public opinion and personal opinion is really what drives these uh, honor and shame cultures. It's not only what the culture thinks about you, but it's also what you think about yourself because of what the culture thinks of you. And so they, they did everything based on whether it was honorable or shameful. And we've talked about other cultures. We just saw a clip from uh, a Japanese culture in Mulan. Uh, but I'm trying just to help you see that there's some very different things at play when you're reading in the Bible. Now, what I don't want anyone to think is that if, if I just have my American lenses and I never put on any other lenses and think about any other culture, that I can't understand the Bible. That's not true. The Bible is clear. 
And the Bible is easy to understand. Now, you may just be a little confused when you come to a text and you're like, why would they do that? And your American lenses say, I don't know, it doesn't matter. And you can just keep on going and you'll probably understand the text pretty well. But if you just take that time to think, I wonder why they would do that. Was it another cultural thing? And you can maybe just do a little bit of investigation. I think sometimes the passages will will just come alive and maybe you'll understand a little more. But the clarity of Scripture is something that we hold dear to our hearts. It's the thing that says that's that's the one reason we don't have to read the Bible in Hebrew because, because Scripture is so clear that even translations, in translations, God's Word still shines through. All right, so don't anybody be scared and don't worry. Don't be like, well, I don't want to pick up the Bible now because I don't understand anything about that culture or anything like that. What we should do is say, I'm going to continue seeking the Lord. And if a cultural thing comes up that I don't understand, maybe I'll look into it. But the passage is still going to be clear to me. Um, I was, uh, I don't know if anybody else did this today, but I was, uh, I was, after I got a whole bunch of work done, I, I had a little time, and I turned on uh, the news. Do you know what was on the news today? <laughs> Anybody know? Do you know what, I'm not going to get into it, do you know what word I heard a lot? Shame. I heard that word a lot. And so when we think about honor and shame, it's just not uh, specific to other cultures. I mean, we have ideas of honor and shame in our culture as well, which many people were trying to leverage today on both sides. You're being shameful. You're being shameful. This is, a, this is just a shameful act and everything like this. And I was thinking, wow, what an amazing uh, thing and topic just to show us that we have some of these concepts in our culture as well. We, we might be guilt-based, Uh, But we still have honor and shame. We know about bringing honor to the Lord or shaming the Lord. We know uh, that things that we do affect our family and things like that. And so I don't want you to think that it's so far removed for us that we don't even understand honor and shame. Well, that would be silly because we know these words and we know what they mean. And we've probably used them. How How many of you did this when you were a little kid? You remember? Or did your mom do it maybe to you? Yeah. Shame, shame, right? So we have these concepts in our culture as well, but we don't live by honor and shame. And so uh, I thought that was pretty neat, uh, just to to see that. It was a little shameful. I'm just kidding. Uh, I don't know if you've ever noticed in our culture here in Las Cruces, I don't know if you've ever began to witness to someone and you find out that they're Catholic and there seems to be this hard wall that you can't get past because they're Catholic. You just want to share the gospel. You just want to say, here, here's what you need to do so that you can know the Lord, so you can understand him, so that you're not separated from him, and you're, you're going into the gospel. And whether they're a devout Catholic or not, they have this wall. And you know what, what the difference uh, between any of us, maybe, and this wall is? They think that if I accept what you're saying, it's going to bring shame upon me. Uh, I've talked with many people who have come to this church, and they talk to me about their Catholic background. And, and uh, I've known so many Catholics, and I don't want to get into any of that. I'm not trying to say anything bad against Catholics or anything like that. But what I am saying is a lot of people come from that background, because we're here in Las Cruces, New Mexico, uh, and so many people here are Catholic, 
And so many of them maybe like what they're hearing, but for fear of shame and what will happen to them, they aren't willing to take that next step in faith because they think, what will my mom think of me? What will my grandma think of me? I will be shamed and they may never speak to me again. What will my dad do to me? Will I still have a relationship with my dad if I say, okay, now I'm going to this evangelical church, I'm not going to the Catholic church anymore? And so we have honor and shame in our culture as well, American culture, but also here just locally in Las Cruces. And so many people that I've talked to who want to take that step of faith have said, can you help me understand everything that I'm doing? Because I'm about to walk away from everything I've been raised in, and it's going to get very bad for me. Uh, and so it's a, it's a huge subject, even in our culture uh, today. Well, we're going to be in uh, John 8 today, and I want to draw your attention to a text that you've read before. You probably know the whole story. You could probably get up here and tell it uh, in the microphone. Any, anybody want to do that? Any volunteers? No? I'm just kidding. I knew you wouldn't. I knew you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> I do want to talk about the woman caught in adultery, uh, and you'll find this in John 8, and this is 1 through uh, 13. What we're going to do is I'm going to just kind of start reading, and I'll kind of stop, and we'll uh, look at something that has to do with honor and shame, and uh, hopefully it kind of makes something spark in your mind, and it gets you thinking a little bit. And you can see this story just a little bit different, maybe in a way that, that the people in this first century would have thought about these things. All right, so let's uh, go ahead and get into it. It says, uh, they went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It says, early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him. Now, I don't want to... uh, I don't want to make that seem like it wasn't as important as it is. Jesus Christ would go to the temple and he would teach and the people would come. The people loved to hear Jesus. I have no idea how many were there, but I guarantee you it was not a small number of people. And people went to the temple so that they could hear teachers like this. Well, not exactly like this. He was the best. And they couldn't wait to hear him. And they knew that crowds were going to be gathering around Jesus. They knew that he was going to be teaching in the temple. And other people wanted to take opportunity, take advantage of the fact that Jesus was going to be there and a crowd was going to be around him. Listen, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees, they were always trying to shame Jesus publicly. Don't ever think for an instant that wasn't always their goal. Okay, now we, we use different words. We'll say the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus. They were trying to catch him off guard. They were hoping that he wouldn't do this. They're always trying to publicly shame him. They never went to him privately and said, hey, can you step aside over here away from the crowd? I just, we just wanted to bring something up to you just between you and us. No, they were always about let's, let's do all of this inside of the public so we can shame you 
and so that the people won't follow you anymore, so that you won't have any influence on them, so you can't do anything that you want to do. Pharisees were always trying to trap uh, Jesus and always trying to shame him publicly. So the people came to him, and he sat down, all right? I don't know if you've ever thought about uh, when you were in school, okay, we had a place of honor for teachers. Where was the place of honor for teachers at school? Anybody? (laughs) Teacher's lounge. That was good. That was good. I always wanted to get into that lounge. (laughs) Where was the place of honor? It was in front of everybody, right? And was it sitting down or standing up? Teachers would always stand, wouldn't they? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, they would sit down sometimes. That's a cultural difference between what happened in Jesus' day. In Jesus' day, teachers did not stand. The place of honor was sitting in front of the people. And so Jesus takes the position of a rabbi, and he sits. It's just a little cultural difference. Maybe you would have just glossed by it. But it's, it has nothing, well, it does have to do with honor and shame. It was the place of honor. And standing was not the way to teach then. Have you ever seen uh, statues of, of Buddha? Yeah, he's always standing like this, and he's always sitting, right? I don't, there's an Indian Buddha, and then there's the, the Chinese Buddha. Both of them, though, are sitting, okay? In, I don't know if you know this, but missionaries in some of those countries, uh, when they draw Jesus, they draw him sitting, He's, he's not standing and teaching. When we go to our, uh, if we go to Sunday school and we look through some of the pictures that they're teaching, what is Jesus always going to do? He's going to be standing and talking to the people. When you go to some of these other, other cultures and these missionaries have thought about this and they're like, you know what? In this culture, the place of honor for a teacher is sitting. So when Jesus is teaching and we're going to try and depict that in a picture, what we're going to do is paint Jesus sitting in the place of honor. All right, so Jesus goes to the temple, and he sits down, and he teaches them. This is verse 3. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, now listen, the the scribes and the Pharisees do something that in our culture would be totally 100% out of line, okay? You can't just go get some woman that you catch in adultery and just bring her into the public square to shame her. But guess what? This isn't our culture. This is a totally different culture. And the the scribes and the Pharisees found someone in their community that was bringing not only shame upon herself, not only shame upon the man that she was with, but shame on the entire community. Oh, and the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, they loved to point out people who were shaming the entire community. That's what they were always about. And so they bring this woman in the midst. In the midst of who? Well, don't forget, this is a public scene. This was Jesus and all of the people who had gathered around at the temple. So the scribes and the Pharisees are all about now exposing how this woman shamed the community herself, and this other man. And so they bring her to the public square to shame her more in the sight of everybody so that when everybody leaves, nobody will have a good opinion of that woman. She has brought shame to everyone and she has dishonored herself and doesn't deserve anything. They don't even think she deserves life. They say to Jesus, teacher, 
This woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, I don't know how they knew this, where they got their special information, but they were hunting it down. And not only was it to bring shame on this woman, but it's also to publicly shame Jesus. So they're going to, it's like a double shaming. Hey, we, don't worry, it's two birds, one stone. We get to bring out this woman who's bringing shame upon our community, but we also get to try and publicly shame Jesus Christ and hopefully all of his followers and everybody that's gathered there is going to be done with him and his ministry will end. Verse five. Now, in the law of Moses... In the law, sorry, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They're obviously trying to trap Jesus. Remember, he's teaching inside the temple, and they're just trying to get him to do something, to trip him up in some way so that he loses popularity, so that he loses all of his honor, so that everyone abandons him. This is verse uh, 6. This they said to test him. So what happens if he fails the test? If he fails the test, he is shamed, right? If he fails the test, they're hoping everyone will abandon him. If he fails the test, he won't have a leg to stand on. They said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, there's so many speculations as to what he wrote. Nobody knows. Um, there's, there's so many things that people think, but it really doesn't matter. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and he said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, Jesus, uh, the, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how Jesus just turned the tables. They were trying to shame him, and he turns the tables on them, and he shames them instead. And Jesus is trying to do the exact same thing here. He's saying, okay, you're going to come against me, the Son of God, in the temple while I'm teaching. You're trying to shame a woman, and you're trying to get me involved so that you shame me. How about I just turn the tables on you and I'm going to see who is shameful in this situation. All right? Listen to this. This is, this is just amazing. Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Now you've heard this a million times. Jesus was the only one there who could have picked up a stone in the case that he set up. He said, only if you don't have sin, then you can throw a stone at her. And he was the only one that met that criteria. He was the only one who honored God in every single thing that he did. Now the woman, she hadn't honored God, at least as far as what they're they're accusing her of right here. We know the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they, they weren't honoring God. But the one who did honor God and didn't bring shame upon God and themselves because of their sin was Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to see how he tries to get the entire crowd to realize you've all brought shame upon God. Except me, I haven't. Because I'm Jesus, I am the son of God. And in this one instant, the whole table has been turned. Everything is now focused 
on everyone else in the crowd and the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're looking around like, okay, we know that we've sinned. Now we try and keep the law, but we're not going to say ever that we're sinless. Nobody ever thought that. They thought we do a good job keeping the law. But one by one, it says that they left. So it says, uh, verse 8, once more, Jesus bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, when they heard what Jesus said, that the one without sin is the one that can throw the stone, or be the first to throw the stone, it says, they went away one by one. How do you picture this? How do you picture the people leaving one by one? It's mostly probably the Pharisees and the scribes. And they were trying to get the crowd on their side. Yeah, let's shame this woman. Let's shame Christ. Let's do all of this. But how do you picture them leaving? Their heads held high? No, not at all, right? What does this mean? You know what it means. You're shameful. You're ashamed of what's happened. You're ashamed of your sin. And Jesus has now turned the tables so that everyone there realizes their own sin. And one by one, they don't leave with their heads held high. They leave with their, hel- their heads hung low in shame. Not just because they were trying to shame the woman, but because they know that they had brought shame and not honored God. And they weren't honoring God's chosen son either. It says, beginning with the older ones, they left one by one. And Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. Now, if anyone could have just really given the third degree to this woman, it was him. He had honored God in every single thing he had ever done, ever. And instead of bringing shame upon her, now he doesn't say, everything you've done is okay. She realizes her own shame. She knows that what she was doing was wrong. She knew that she wasn't honoring God in what she was doing. But Jesus decides just to love her in the midst of her shame. Isn't that what Jesus does with us? Yeah, our sin brings shame upon us and shame upon our God. Don't we shame him every time that we don't do something that he loves us to do, something that he requires us to do, something that he wants us to do? Every time we disobey that and go against that, we shame ourselves and we shame him. In cultures like this, uh, nowadays, uh, missionaries will go and share people. And they, they don't usually, listen, now listen, hear me, and hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, okay? When they share the gospel in these cultures, they might not say, here's God's rule, you're guilty, like we would here. Has anybody seen Ray Comfort's videos? They're actually really interesting to watch. Um, What he usually does is say, here's God's law. Have you broken God's law? And he shows people here in America that they've broken God's law and that they stand before him guilty. Now, that wouldn't work so much in an honor and shame culture. Why wouldn't that work? Because guilt isn't as weighty there as it is here. So people sharing the gospel there will say, do you know that you've brought shame upon the Lord by breaking his law? Do you know the only way that you can honor him 
is actually to accept his son's sacrifice for you. In fact, Jesus died. Now, they won't say Jesus died for your sins. They, they will say Jesus has brought honor to God. And because he has brought honor to God, he has not shamed God at all like you have. And he has now paid the price. He has made a way for you to bring honor to God. He's made the way for you to honor God. You can't honor God yourself. All, you're, all you do is you shame God. You bring shame upon yourself. You bring shame upon God. But what you need to do is honor him. And if you want to bring honor to God, you have to accept Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ's honor is then transferred to you. And your shame that you shamed the Lord with is removed from you. Isn't that different? It's the same thing, but it's a different way to say it. Now, they would also understand that they have broken God's law. But they would think, when I break God's law, it dishonors God. When I do the Lord's will, it brings honor to him. I don't want to shame God. I want to bring honor to him. Jesus Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, well, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus wasn't interested in shaming her more. The shame that she had just bore from everything that she was just doing, and then that being exposed in the public, Jesus was like, this woman has had enough shame. I'm not going to shame you anymore. But listen to what he says. He says, he doesn't say, you didn't sin. What does he say? Go on, and from now on, sin no more. So Jesus doesn't say what you did was fine. He just says, go on and sin no more. Don't shame God anymore. Begin to bring honor to God. So was this a pretty easy text to understand inside of our guilt culture? Absolutely. But hopefully, as we kind of put those lenses aside a little bit and try and think in terms of as though we were first uh, century people, uh, hopefully the text has come a little bit more alive, and hopefully maybe you understand a few of the intricacies uh, that are in the text. I am so thankful that I got to uh, teach these last few weeks. Uh, How many of you were here last week to see Miguel? Wasn't that fun? Uh, He had such a wonderful time here, and uh, just wanted me to express one last time uh, his just his delight and his thankfulness uh, for all of you. He was so surprised that, like all of you, came up to him and just talked to him after his, uh, after his talk. They were, just, they were just thinking, you know, we're going to go to this church. Nobody knows us. Nobody's going to really care about us. But you, FBC, did an amazing job at showing him love. And so thank you uh, from my part because uh, he's a great friend of mine uh, that I've gotten to know really well. Uh, in the last while, and for him to say, your church has really blessed me, not, not just monetarily, not even with our mission trips, but just by coming here and you just spent some time with him, he absolutely loved it. His wife and his daughter could not believe how kind you were to them, 
even though they didn't speak your language. It was pretty neat. So uh, thank you for doing that. I think you brought honor to the Lord, and you honored Miguel in a, uh, in a great way. Uh, I, that is all I have tonight, and you guys are free for the next two weeks, right? We don't have uh, Grow next week because that'll be Christmas Day, and we don't have uh, Grow the, next, uh, the week after because that is New Year's Day. Uh, I believe, do we have any more tickets left for the Christmas Eve services? I'll go check in the office. Troy, do we have maybe a couple? Okay, I think we might have a couple. We'll have those out at the Welcome Center in just a minute. Um, Thank you so much for coming. You guys have a great Christmas and a happy new year, okay? Thank you.